Welcome to the River Hills Church Deep and Wide podcast. Each week we'll be going a little deeper and casting the vision a little wider based upon what we talked about on Sunday morning. So we are so glad you joined us. Stay tuned as we get rolling into Deep and Wide. On the attributes of God, we've called it Who Is He? And what we've been doing is looking at the character of God. Um, and so many times, as we've discussed over and over again through this series, is that we see God in only a single facet many times. We only see him as you know, loving or we only see him as disappointed in us. But when we think about God in his entirety, who, his, who he is and what his character is like, there's so much there. Uh, he is unchanging. He is sufficient. Um, and like I told you yesterday, we didn't exhaust this. I'm not sure any any book or resource does, but I would recommend two resources to you. And I think I, I think I mentioned this in a podcast several months back. Is uh, I would recommend J.I. Packer's book Knowing God. I think it is one of the greatest books uh, written in the last 200 years. That and Desiring God uh, by John Piper. Um, I would recommend that book, uh, J.I. Packer's book. But I'll also recommend. Um, A.W. Tozer's book, Attributes of God, and as well as Arthur W. Pink's Attributes of God. I know both of them are A.W., but different names as far as surnames go. So you can check those out for further study. And we'll be dabbling with this during Christmas as we talk about God incarnate, as well as the God who is for us and with us. But yesterday we dealt with my favorite one. It's God's grace. And I hope it's a topic that um, is near and dear to your heart. And when we understand that, uh, grace is for those who don't deserve it, which is you and I and every other person. It really takes us deeper in our relationship with God and causes us to worship, causes us and propels us to do godly things, live in godly ways and serve in godly atmospheres and and really tell people about this gospel, about this Jesus. And so I, I hope it's encouraging to you. Um, years ago, uh, and it's been many, many years ago now, but when I really came to grips with what God's grace is and how that affected me, it changed me, changed my perspective because so many of us live in a performance-driven mindset that we've got to do things to get God to love us. And, and we discussed this a little bit yesterday. You know, in that mindset, the reason it's so easy for us to go there is because that's how we function in all of our relationships. If you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. If I work hard enough, I get a raise. If I do well in school, I get a better grade. And, and it's all about how we perform. Um, but the gospel switches paradigms on us. It says it's by grace you've been saved. We dealt with that yesterday in Ephesians chapter 2. And reminding you that when we really embrace grace by recognizing who we are and yet recognizing what we get, meaning all the riches of God's grace, man, that changes us. And so I want to encourage you um, in your day-to-day lives to reflect back on who we were. Um, and if you don't know Jesus yet, I really want, to, want you to understand that um, I love what uh, Packer says in his book, Knowing God, is that there is a moral desert that we live in that we can't do enough good things to get God to love us. He loves us anyway, and he acts in his freedom to demonstrate grace to us. And when we grasp that, whoo, it changes everything. I hope it's changed you. I really do. Romans 8.1 is one of my life verses. It says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because I find myself condemning myself when I don't measure up. 
or condemning myself when I make a mistake or condemning myself when I feel like I haven't been a good husband or a good dad or a good pastor or a good friend. But in the context of the gospel, Jesus doesn't condemn us. It's by grace. And that grace is beautiful and it is wonderful. I hope it changes you. I hope it changes you. You don't have to perform. You don't have to dance for the Lord uh, to get his favor. You live for the Lord because you have his favor. Um, it is just different. It's just different. I hope you get that. So that being said, though, I thought it would be a practical exercise today to talk about how we show grace to other people. And, and really, even more specifically, how do we show grace to other people without being a doormat? Um, and I say that because God gives us grace. He calls us to a different standard because of that grace. And yet we're called in the context of that to show grace to other people. Um, in your marriages, I'm reading a great book right now called Grace Marriage. And I highly recommend it if you're married or if you're getting married or planning to get married. Um, when we show grace to our spouse, it changes things. That's the love that God shows to us. Uh, in our relationships with others, when we can show them grace. However, there are times when we show people grace, but yet they repeatedly do bad things to us. They repeatedly take advantage of that love and that grace. And so one of the questions I struggle with and I deal with, and I'm sure you do too, and I've been asked before, is how do we show grace without being a doormat for someone uh, or them taking advantage of us? We all know people, and maybe you are that people, <laughs> who, you know, you do good things and people will constantly abuse your goodness. You constantly abuse your servant attitude, your servant heart. Um, you know, we all have different gifts that God's empowered us and he empowers us at times to use gifts we didn't know we had. But many of you are gifted with this whole idea of serving others. And some of you have a great inclination to serve others first. And I know you've been used. So how, how do we show that grace and that love and support without being a doormat, not being used? And so what I've done, is, and this is not exhaustive, this is out of the mind of Chip and other research that I've done, is is I want to talk about six things I think we can do to prevent ourselves from being a doormat, but yet upholding what the gospel says to love your neighbor as yourself and to show grace to that person. Um, grace is one of those things that let's just think through it. If, if, if I was, if I'm able to show grace to a toddler who is screaming their heads off because they didn't get their way, that changes how I respond and that changes how they act. Now, it doesn't mean punishing that toddler. It doesn't mean not drawing a boundary or a line saying don't cross here or there will be consequences, but showing them grace by loving them regardless of who they are. That, that is the effort that we put into loving other people. And, and to be very honest with you, there are people in your life and my life who have hurt us that we don't want to show grace to, and we definitely don't want to be around. I've, I've heard this saying before, is that you can you can forgive a skunk, but you're going to keep your distance. I think there's some truth in that. Um, but, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So how do we show that peace? How do we show that grace? So let me give you a couple things. First off, as we're showing grace to other people, specifically serving them, and then they do turn on us, I think it's important that we have a change of perspective and how we see them and then also how we see what we're doing for them. Now let's let's kind of let's kind of flesh that out a little bit. Um, you know, our church has been involved in the past, not currently uh in the ways that we have in the past by but we have in the past distributed food, uh, sometimes 10,000 pounds of food in one day. And 
almost 100%. I'm not going to say 100% because I can't remember it all, but almost 100% of the time people come through, get their food, and they're driving, not driving nicer cars than I drive, or they're mean. I've had people have uh, handed them food before. And I, they, they yell at me and say, don't like that kind of food, get something else, or they get mad because we don't have what they want. I get that. And, and a lot of that is from previous trauma that they dealt with or pain or hurt, or maybe they just don't know. So I'm trying to see them differently. But as those people who do abuse our good grace and love to them, I, I have to really work hard to change my perspective of them. And that is simply see them the way God sees them. Um, that is a good step of application. I don't get it 100% of the time. But in my marriage, how does God see my wife and with my children? How does God see my children? Um, in the relationships with just a stranger, how does God see those people? As we're now watching what's happening in Israel, how does God see those who are in Palestine and those who are in Israel and all, everyone else? How does God see them? Well, it's simple. God sees them as valued. And if I can value that person, regardless of how they act, it changes my heart for that person. And so change your perspective and how you see them, but also change your perspective on why you're serving them. Um, you know, why, with all the food distributions I've done or tried to help other people or just do something kind. And if you do this too, at some point, you're going to have some people get very angry at you. Um, they're going to slam doors in your face. They're going to treat you with contempt. They're going to really at times cuss you out. That's happened. And, and my reaction is to get even aren't, isn't yours. I mean, it's like, I won't, I, I want to tell them off. I want to tell them how terrible they are. Um, there's been occasions like that, even in my ministry where it's just like, ah, I so want to say those things, but you know what? I'm not doing it necessarily just for them. Colossians chapter three, verse 23, it says, it says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And, and the thing is there is that ultimately your act of showing grace and serving other people, while it is loving your neighbor as yourself, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the undergirding idea, um, I believe, behind that is you're doing these things of loving your neighbor as yourself because you love the Lord your God and you're serving the Lord your God by serving your fellow man. And so if we look at it as an act of worship to God, because God, you're good. You show me grace. I didn't deserve it. I need to show this person grace. It changes your perspective. So first thing is this, I think it really is helpful for us to change perspective. Another thing is, is and this is important to, to remember, not just in serving others, but also in just how you think and the mind games you play with yourself is this, your worth isn't from them or what you do or what people say. That is not your worth. So when you show grace to someone and that person abuses that grace or uses you, your worth or value is not in what they do or how they respond. Your value is in the fact that the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, died for you. He, he, he values you. He loves you to the point of death and then resurrection and promises a home. Like we talked about yesterday in Ephesians chapter two, he made you alive and then gives you the riches of glory. I love what first Corinthians chapter uh, 15 uh, verse 10 says, as it pertains to grace and how that changes us, it says, by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. 
On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This is so important for understanding. You are what you are as, as it pertains to being a child of God, saved, redeemed, atoned for, uh, loved, accepted, and promised because of what Christ has done. And when you see your value like that, oh, it changes everything. When we go back to Romans 8.1, you're not condemned. So I want to encourage you, you know, as, as you as you get screamed at from your teenager for the 30th time today, your value is not in your parenting or how they see you in those moments. Your value is in the fact that Jesus died for you. Changes everything. All right. Number three, I want you to take the long view on things. What do we mean the long view? You know, the Bible tells us that we are just a vapor, uh, that we are only for a moment in time. And when we take the long view of life, meaning that, there's so much more and what we're doing so many times are just drops in the bucket or not even a drop. It's just a mist in the air as it could, as it pertains to eternity. Things change. Some of you right now are taking care of an elderly parent and that is hard. It's difficult. I've seen it happen. And that elderly parent probably isn't as nice as they used to be. They're a different person. They've changed and it's difficult to go to the retirement home every day. It's difficult to, to nurture them and love them because they treat you so poorly. Or maybe you're taking care of a sick spouse or maybe a, a, a loved one who isn't a Christian, but you love them and you want to take care of them and they treat you poorly. I want you to see the long view here. The long view is that God is working and you don't see it. And two, this is nothing, Romans 8.28, compared to what we're going to experience. And that through this time of pruning that you're dealing with right now, like maybe taking care of that elderly parent, God is working in your life. Take the long view, not the short view. However, let us, the last three kind of flip what we're talking about, because the first three we dealt with change your perspective. Know that God values them and know that you're doing this for the Lord. And also, your worth is not based upon what you do in them and how you work through for them. Uh, your worth is based on what Christ has done for you. And then take the long view. See the eternal perspective. That's what you're doing. Now, however, there are things that you have to hold people accountable to. You know, if you're married and your spouse is beating you, you don't keep showing them grace and coming back to the fist. OK, you don't have to put up with a toxic work environment over and over again. Um, there are certain things that you can show grace, but yet have accountability toward. And the thing that's so beautiful about the gospel is that grace is the answer for accountability. God shows you where you messed up and then you repent and then he shows you grace. And in the context of the church, we read over and over again within the body of Christ that, you know what? We we love people, we accept people, we don't reject people. However, there are lines and boundaries that we set up. And so we're not of the world and things need to change. We don't belong to darkness. And so there's a couple of things with that. First off, is that in the context of showing grace to people and they may treat mistreat you, you can demonstrate accountability. You can call them to a higher standard, especially if you're in a strong relationship with them. 
You know, it might not be. And this is where you got to pray for wisdom. The right thing to do when you're handing out uh, free food and somebody cusses at you because it's not the type of brand they like to cook. Um, you know, it might not be the best time to hold them accountable at that moment. However, but if you're in a long term relationship, you're married and or you're raising a child, it is important to hold them accountable and yet show them grace at the same time is that, you know, if that child consistently disobeys, you take their phone away. That's accountability. That's consequences. That's corrective. You're still going to show them grace. You're not taking away your, your love or acceptance from them. It's important to understand that. So a couple of verses here on that. Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, when you're holding someone accountable and most of the time they're not going to want to hear it, here's what's important to understand. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, and that is into Christ. What does this mean? Speaking the truth in love is that when you have the relational equity to speak truth, hard truth at times, you do so in love. Uh, you know, as a leader, I've always been trained and taught and tried to practice is that that you praise people publicly, but you correct people privately. And I found that when I try to lead other staff members or people that I'm called to lead is that it, it comes across a whole lot better when they know that I love them over a period of time. So accountability is OK. You, you're called to do that in a marriage. Accountability is OK, uh, obviously in love, obviously in love. And sometimes there has to be that place where you're not uh, positioning yourself for uh, unsafe places, but there's an accountability there. Jesus says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is important. This is all about church discipline. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's important. It's okay to confront people, people. It's hard. It's difficult. Nobody likes this. It's awkward conversations. But, you know, the Bible talks about in Proverbs, the wounds of a friend are good. Hold people accountable. Uh, make sure they're willing to be held accountable. But you can point out, hey, listen, I, I really didn't appreciate the way you treated me. And I love you, but I, I, we can't do that. Anymore. Number five, set up clear boundaries. Now, this is kind of a a hot topic word in many ways, hot button word in many ways. Um, and there's a great book out there called Boundaries. Um, and as many of you know, my wife is a therapist. And it's been something that's been a regular in our library for over a decade. But when you set up clear boundaries, you're not just saying you can't enter. You're not saying simply that, but you're saying this is how we need to treat each other. Um, this is how we need to live. And this is how I'm not going to embrace the world in my life, whether it be in James chapter four, verse four, second Corinthians chapter six, verse 14, Romans chapter 13, verses one through four. It talks about how the government sets up boundaries. Boundaries are everywhere and boundaries aren't bad. Um, and you have to set up those clear boundaries. That's showing grace to someone. You know, if they cross that boundary and it's not like you're not going to stop loving them, but at the same time, it's, you know, in a relationship, there are boundaries. You're not going to physically abuse me in a, in a relationship. You're not going to verbally abuse me. You know, there, there are things they have to be held accountable to and, and, and ultimatums that need to be had sometimes that is showing grace to someone because you're trying to point yourself and them to Jesus. And so what are some clear boundaries? And now the thing about these clear boundaries is you're, you're showing grace, um, 
by not being a doormat, it's more like being willing to open the door. But the way you open this door is you have to cross that. You have to cross into that realm of grace to where you're open and safe. Because if you're not willing to set up these clear paradigms, like these clear things, and we see them over and over again in scripture, relational health won't happen. And that really leads us to number six. When you're setting up accountability and boundaries, there's two filters. One is obvious. It's scripture. And the other one is godly counsel. As you're trying to see if you're being used or being a doormat, find godly counsel. Not just somebody that's going to take your side. You have those people in your life. But someone who's godly, who's objective, and wants the best for you and the other person involved. And so as you do that, as you set up accountability, as you set up boundaries, seek godly counsel. Um, the church is here. That's, that's, that's one reason. And I want to I encourage you on something. We have a new label in the church uh, metric today is the best way I can say it, is that if you consider yourself a church goer and only thing you do is attend church online and it's not a medical reason, you are considered now de-churched. And the reason is, it's because you need other people in your life. You need the body of Christ. God didn't create you to sit in front of a computer or a TV every Sunday. He called, He created you to engage with the body. And that's where you find that godly counsel. And we want that for you. I want that for you. You're missing it. It's so good. It's not always hunky-dory and it is messy at times, but it is the beauty of the body of Christ. I love you guys so much. I thank God that I get to speak with you every Sunday and that you tune in for this podcast. And I hope it encourages you. Show grace. Do it in love. Have the long view. Understand your worth is not based upon them, but based upon Christ. Do it for the glory of God. Give them accountability. Set boundaries. Seek godly counsel. Have a great, great day. Christ. I love you guys so much. I thank God that I get to speak with you every Sunday and that you tune in for this podcast. And I hope it encourages you. Show grace. Do it in love. Have the long view. Understand your worth is not based upon them, but based upon Christ. Do it for the glory of God. Give them accountability. Set boundaries. Seek godly counsel. Have a great, great day. Day.